Hello everyone, I'm Zola Zengit. Welcome to COVID Stuck Abroad, the podcast where I get to chat with South Africans who are living abroad in 2020 when COVID-19 changed the world as we know it. This podcast aims to tell the personal accounts of guests featured and does not claim to offer verified facts. To get verified information about COVID-19 and related information, please refer to the official World Health Organization website, as well as the official South African government website. Please see the show notes for links. It must also be stated that COVID stuck abroad will not tolerate xenophobic sentiments. Listeners should recognize that the personal experiences of one individual cannot be viewed as a representation of an entire nation, ethnicity, or culture. Okay, now let's get to today's episode. Okay, first things first, I would like to ask you, dear listener, to please fill out a survey about your thoughts on the first season of COVID stuck abroad. The link to the survey can be found in the show notes as well as at the ohambuleo.com slash COVIDstuckabroad page. I would really appreciate it if we took the time to complete the survey to know what the best way forward will be if we need to continue with this series. Okay then, so today I'm alone. I have no guests with me. Um, I'm not in a physical studio, I'm not using the virtual studio we've been using to be able to converse with some of my guests from across the world. And in fact, I'm in no studio at all. I'm at home, working to wrap up this first season of COVID Stuck Abroad. Um, there have been many similarities to how people reacted to the spreading of the virus in the 18 months of 2020. And so... That's actually how I decided to wrap up the season, by looking back at my own experience of this pandemic. Um, What I mean by that is, as I was doing the series, I really started thinking about, okay, yes, it's a novel, coronavirus, but also, you know, is it really true that we've never seen anything like this before? And the reason I think I started thinking like that is actually because of the trailer itself, in which I looked back at my time (laughs) sort of being quarantined when I was in South Korea and how that experience reminded me of things now. What I mean by that is how I was able to sort of see the link between those those two events, you know, what we're going through right now and what I went through then. And then it made me realize that actually even that wasn't my first point of entry to this um, knowledge, I guess, of sort of like epidemics or pandemics, but that rather I would say my own first personal experience was actually in 2008 I think which was when um, swine flu which is called H1N1 virus was first spreading um, around the world I mean it didn't become a pandemic but it did sort of travel you know to a few countries and the reason I take it back to that um, year or even that particular virus is I remember I was in high school and I went to, and you know, what was they call? They call it an international high school. It's really 
it's a South African high school and just happened to have quite a few kids who are not from South Africa attending the school. Um, and so because of that, a lot of them tended to be frequent travelers. And I remember how when Swahili was first starting to spread, they put up these posters at school trying to tell us um, how to protect ourselves, at least try to protect ourselves from um, contracting this new virus that was called swine flu. And even when they gave us letters to take home to tell our parents about what was going on, I remember my family making a joke about how, oh my gosh, it's the school of yours that's going to get us infected. If you went at that school of yours, we wouldn't have anything to worry about because we're not travelers. Um, we're not going overseas, you know, getting these diseases, as they would have said. Um, but I remember how in the posters, but even in those letters, they gave instructions of how to wash your hands. And it was very similar to what we're experiencing right now, you know, like wash your hands for 20 seconds. I don't know if at the time it was 20 seconds or like 30 seconds, but um, instructions of how to wash in between your fingers and how to rub at your thumbs, um, you know, trying to sanitize, cough, into your elbow it was those sort of instructions that we were being given at our school um and so i think it's interesting that already then with swine flu we already knew that people who were likely to travel were likely to get um this sort of virus a respiratory virus um, that seemed to spread quite quickly as well, at least when compared to other sort of diseases we were dealing with at the time, I guess. Um, but also how the prevention, the preventative methods are sort of similar to what we're being told to do now. And then when I think of then 2015, the same things were sort of happening, where even when I was getting quarantined myself, I remember leaving my school and being asked to wear masks. My hands were sanitized. I was told not to leave the house until, um, you know, the incubation period had passed. And how even then, um, you know, you sort of had to look out for very similar symptoms as the ones we're now looking out for. And I guess the point I'm sort of trying to get at with all of this is how it's almost like we've had little doses of experiences that are similar to what we're going through now almost like what we're experiencing is actually not all that new. It just happens to be heightened. And I think I started thinking along those lines because then, um, I mean, this is a bit of a funny story, but <laughs> I think in late 2019, I actually stumbled upon the movie Contagion, um, the one that suddenly in 2020 everyone would be watching. But I found it late one evening, decided to watch it because it seemed to have an interesting cast and I really thought the movie was interesting at the time. And I remember how at the end of the movie, they have the scene before they show how the virus sort of spread in that world of the movie. But they have the scene where they show the scientists um, putting, I think, a sample of the virus. You know, I don't know if the virus of the film actually had a name, but they put it in... I mean, I don't know the correct term, but I'd say containers. And next to it, they had these other viruses that the world had already actually experienced. So they showed SARS. Um, I think they also showed the H1N1 virus and then as well as Ebola. 
And I thought it was so interesting, almost like they were foregrounding, saying, you know, it's coming, the next virus that will actually cause an outbreak like the one we're showing in this film is possibly coming in the future. And at the time, I remember seeing this and being like, ooh, because I, you know, I knew of MERS, and I don't think they showed that one. And yet it still seemed like, uh, this seems a bit far-fetched. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it really did seem a bit far-fetched even for me at the time. But I was like, okay. The funny thing is then a few months later, as I said, even in my recording, the last recording I did, um, episode 10 with Marissa Naidu, who's one of my closest friends, she was in China. And I remember as news started coming out about this virus, that was in this one part of China. At the time, I don't think I knew it was Wuhan. I started asking her about it, and she didn't know much about it. And the weird thing is that when I was quarantined for MERS in South Korea, I was quarantined with her, actually, uh, because we lived in the same apartment building. So we sort of kind of hung out, although I don't think that was allowed. But we did, because we didn't leave the apartment building, but we would go to each other's apartments. And... I remember asking her about it. I'm like, you know, do you think it's sort of the same thing as MERS? Like, what is this? She was like, no, like, I think it's just like, you know, something that's, you know, contained to that one part of China. And China is so huge. It's easy, I think, to sort of be like, uh, no, it's this is not going to spread here. Um, it's, you know, people who are outside who are maybe exaggerating because news and the media tend to sort of... Um, generalize or at least not be specific in other times and so if you say living in a particular country you are able to see the nuance of a situation versus people on the outside who are maybe a bit blind to the nuances of the situation and therefore can panic easily thinking something is general rather than specific to a, an area or to a region or whatever the case might be um, and so she was like, no, this this is nothing to worry about. And I mean, she talks about this in her episode, um, which is episode 10. And then I was like, okay, cool. But I think I was mainly worried about her because she'd been sick quite often in China. Um, and so I just didn't want her to, you know, contract this new virus as well. Um, and then again, as she mentions in her episode, she then went to Cambodia and this was in January. This was around the time when, you know, a lot of people were traveling because of Chinese New Year, you know, one of the biggest holidays in many Asian countries. Um, and she went to Cambodia and she was supposed to actually have gone back to China. And her contract was going to come to an end, I think, in February or beginning of March. And sometime in March, she was supposed to come to South Africa for a short holiday, except when you know, China was then experiencing the spreading of this virus, this coronavirus, they decided to come, her and her cousin decided to come to South Africa in January. And at the time, I was like excited, I wanted to see her. And I remember being with my mother and we were already finding out more about this virus. Obviously now people knew more about it. I think by then it had already been named COVID-19 even. And when I wanted to visit her, I remember my mom being like, should you be visiting her? Isn't she going to bring this virus with her? And I was like, oh my goodness, no, she's not. She's fine. This 
nothing wrong with her. But a part of me was even like, I mean, yeah, she was sick a bit, but I'm sure it's not that virus, right? Um, but also thinking, how would we know? Like, how would she know? And but also I was just like, oh, no, this is stupid. It's panicking about something that's ridiculous. Yeah, I actually ended up not being able to see her, not being able to meet up with her. Uh, but she stayed this side. And then around that time in January, that is when I really started keeping up more, I think, with the situation around COVID-19. And one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is The Daily, produced by the New York Times. And they actually started covering the coronavirus quite frequently. Um, I can't quite remember the first episode I ever listened to where they spoke of the coronavirus, but one of the first episodes where they really started delving into what is happening, what is going on, and not just as a clip at the end of an episode, say, was I think at the end of January where they did an episode where one of their correspondents actually went to Wuhan and was recording stories of families, doctors, and uh, reporters who were essentially living through you know, the first phase of this pandemic um, and going through it. And I mean, you have to listen to that episode. I think it came out on January 30th. And the stories are horrific of, you know, people who can't take their loved ones to the hospital because hospitals are full. Um, people who can't quite take care of their loved ones because they're afraid of contracting this virus. It's just really quite dreadful listening to that episode. Um, and yet, I remember even when I first listened to it, I think something that Nakola brings up, she says how even though she also knew of this coronavirus because of her colleagues who lived in Asia, it almost felt like this was something that you were hearing about, um, you know, finding out more about. But with this attitude of, oh, it's happening to them and not to us. And I think I was going through that as well, of listening to this episode, you know, feeling sympathetic and yet at the same time feeling like, oh, but this is not our problem. You know, this is not South Africa's problem. This is China's problem. Um, yeah, so of course, by the end of February, the podcast um, was really now much more frequently. This is still the daily. They're much more frequently covering um, issues around COVID-19. And one of, they have this one reporter who they interviewed a few times, and he's a health reporter at the New York Times. And, you know, the, he, I think, mentioned it a few times. I'm not sure if it, if in just one episode or in multiple episode episodes, how he possibly was being alarmist. And yet, listening back to some of those episodes, it's almost like he just detailed exactly what was going to happen. Um, you know, he was speaking about how the virus met very quickly. He's comparing it to the 1918 Spanish flu um, and one of the things he brought up in this one episode that they did at the end of February was that how, what was going on right now, the mortality rate of the disease based on the initial studies that they'd done in China, 
showed how, you know, within a year of this disease spreading around the world, the greatest way we'll be able to measure how it will actually impact people is that most people in the world will personally know someone who will have died from this disease. And uh, I'm getting a bit emotional, actually. Um, you know, it's like August 2021 now, um, over a year since, you know, this disease became a pandemic. And yeah, I personally know a few people that have passed away from this disease. Um, I know people that are in hospital right now. And it's... It's devastating. Yeah. And it's so crazy how, like, you know, you look back at an episode like that and the things that he's saying, it's funny because, like, they've happened and yet it's eerie to hear him sort of lay them out of this is what could possibly happen. And then for that to have happened... Yeah, it's a very weird feeling. Um, you know, and the episode itself looked at how, at that point, I think it's right at the end of February, the disease had, the virus, sorry about that, had essentially made it onto every single continent in the world, except for Antarctica. Um, and so even though at that point, at the end of February, South Africa had not yet recorded, officially recorded a case um, Africa itself had already, you know, recorded a case. And that's another thing that makes me look back and think, hmm, you know, we, we should have known that it's coming. Um, and I remember how when I spoke with um, Gareth, I think that's in the eighth episode, um, I told him how, you know, it seemed like we had we were watching this virus slowly go across the world, uh, and we were watching it slowly devastate different parts of the world. And yet, I think many people still had this mentality of, yeah, but probably not us. You know, it'll probably not get here, or it'll probably not be as devastating, or it will only last for a month, or only last for a few weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know. 18 months later, however many months later, we're still in it. And, you know, one of the episodes that stayed with me from the daily that they did um, during that time was the one where they spoke with a doctor from Italy who, at the time, they were interviewing him when the north of Italy was at the epicenter of this um, outbreak, you know, this, I mean, was it? Yes, it was already declared a pandemic by then because the World Health organization declared it I think on the 11th of March and that episode came out the following week and the name of that episode is literally it's like a war and this doctor details how they're not able to treat patients how um because of space you know the horrors that they're experiencing the uh you know him having to go back home and being afraid of spreading this disease to his own family this virus uh, please forgive me for continuously, um, you know, uh, using the word disease when referring to the virus. Um, yeah, and he speaks about that. And I remember being, I remember being in the kitchen listening to that actually, and I think I was cooking, 
And I would pause at times to just listen and hearing the detailed stories of what he was saying and what he was experiencing, it just seemed so foreign and yet so horrific because I think I understood. I'm like, you know, human beings are not only going through this, uh, but this is something that we could be going through. And yet again, I think this feeling of, but not here, surely, kept coming up. And I remember this very explicitly with this episode because he even warned um, the host, you know, Michael, the host of The Daily. He was like, be warned, you know, if this happens to you. Um, and he was talking about America at the time. It will be devastating. And he was speaking about it like it's coming, you know, get ready for this, like mentally prepare, um, whatever that might mean. And of course, I think within a week or something, New York would then sort of move to being the epicenter. Um, and like I said, I think to Gareth, um, it's like after New York, it literally felt like, yeah, it became truly a pandemic. Because after that, it was just the world. Um, the whole world was in the midst of it. You know, there was no one epicenter. It just seemed to be moving everywhere. And, you know, when it actually arrived in South Africa, we didn't mention this, but Marissa was, I mean, she did mention that she left the day after the first official case in South Africa was recorded. Tina, I think, also left around the same time. Tina was, Tina Shu, who was my first guest. And it was interesting because both of them, we had been worried about them going back to countries that had so many cases recorded there. And yet when they made the decision to leave South Africa to go back to work to those respective countries, in Tina's case, it was South Korea. In Marissa's case, it was China. South Africa then, you know, recorded its first case. And I think that's when it hit me that there's no hiding from this virus. It's everywhere now. And at the time, I think I was still very hopeful that we might maybe be in the same scenario, say, as um, at the time, at least, um, places like um, like um, Singapore or Malaysia, who had few cases uh, and who, you know, instituted measures to try and curb the spread of the virus, but it didn't get as devastating as Wuhan or as Italy, um, you know, or New York. And yet, I think a week or two later, that's when we heard our first family meeting and yeah that's it really hit me um I even went on a long walk for the first time in my mom's neighborhood (laughs) because I was just like oh my goodness we are being restricted to our homes and I don't think I fully knew how to deal with that at the time it just seemed so strange to be told to never leave your home because of this virus, this virus that we can't see with the naked eye, this virus that apparently can just be killed with, as some, <laughs> as some memes were joking, uh, something that Snape brought up in her episode, like how South Africans are able to just make jokes about everything. And one of the memes that was spreading was like, guys, we're being, um, you know, our lives are being controlled 
virus that like you know a simple green baso can kill like you know this virus that apparently can just be killed by like the cheapest soap and yet it's devastating our lives um <laughs> and yeah you know march 2020 i think in my head stands out as essentially the world we knew changed or at least the world that i knew um seems to have forever changed and we now live in a new world to use a phrase that many of my guests have used um as we spoke um referring to what we're currently living through as a new world and yeah that has been quite something to sort of make sense of as I've listened to people's different stories of what they've been through what they've experienced and how they've not just survived but continue to live and thrive even during a period of turmoil as I've consistently referred to it it's been it's been devastating for many people for many families for many countries it's been devastating not only um housewise um in terms of the actual virus itself but it's been devastating for people's lives livelihoods as well as for people's mental states for our you know our way of thinking about not just our lives but the world that we live in and yet at the same time i think i've just been very grateful to god that not only am i still alive but many of my loved ones are still alive um something that again many of my guests keep bringing up gratitude you know being grateful for what we still have being grateful for the beautiful moments we've still been able to experience but also being grateful for knowing what to appreciate um yeah and being given the opportunity to recognize the things that are not actually serving us and i hope that's what everyone will come out of with um even after listening to many of my guests but i think something that's very important is to still say it's okay to look back at this period and say it was to not swear like i asked Sinjin in the second episode um it wasn't great you know it, it it's not been great uh and it's okay to grieve many of our losses and it's okay i think to reflect back like i've wanted to do with this podcast and to look back and say what happened what did i go through what did i feel and how am i trying to cope with that 
And I would wish that would be one of the things that many leaders of our different countries and organizations will also focus on. That as much as we're thinking about, you know, reopening our economies and still dealing with this virus, but that we also give space to our mental health, to our spiritual health, and to recognize how important it is to deal with those as well, um, along with keeping our bodies healthy, as well as getting vaccinated if it's something that you're able to do. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Um, like I said, these past few weeks, it has been an amazing journey. It has been <laughs> a very up and down journey for myself. Um, yeah, you know, my grandfather passed away. It wasn't from COVID, but um, yeah. And then because of that, you know, um, funerals being the super spreaders that they are in South Africa, my family pretty much came down with COVID-19. It seemed many of us didn't get tested, uh, but we all seemed to just go down with COVID-19. And honestly, it's still been a recovering process, even now. Um, yeah, so it's been quite a challenging few weeks. But it's also been a hopeful few weeks. And I've had an amazing time on this podcast. And I'm very grateful to the National Arts Council's Presidential Employment Stimulus Program for having funded the project. Um, thank you to Solid Gold Studios for having helped me through even many of the challenges we had with recordings, um, as well as to Baba Lozengeta who has been in charge of social media and Namzama Manzini who has been helping with getting the project running um, with administration and other things. So thank you as well to you who has been listening, has been with me on this journey and I hope that we'll be able to do a second season because goodness <laughs> there's still so many other stories that are just something else to hear and listen to. So I really hope I'll be able to do a second season. Uh, with that said, let me just repeat. Uh, can, can you please do me a favor? Uh, do this whole project a favor by completing a survey that is now available both on the ohambuleo.com website um, but you can also find it in the show notes. At least please see the link in the show notes that will lead you to the survey. Please complete it and it will help me know how to go forward with this project. Thank you so much. Stay safe. And I hope this is not our final goodbye.